On January 30, 1933, Franklin Delano Roosevelt celebrated his 51st birthday. In little more than a month, he would be President of the United States. That same day, Adolf Hitler became Chancellor of Germany. In a little less than two months, the Reichstag would make him absolute master of his country. On taking office, the two men faced similar problems, but they chose opposite paths to a solution. Their policies would force them inexorably onto a collision course. In Germany, the Führer took over a country suffering from self-doubt and in the grip of an economic collapse so serious it seemed insoluble. His solution was to make the Jews scapegoat for all the nation's ills. Get rid of them, he maintained, and the patient would recover. Hitler never wavered from this prescription, never concealed it, and by May 1939, thousands had fled, thousands were in hiding, thousands in concentration camps. Though the gas ovens were not yet in operation, many people died daily of malnutrition and maltreatment, and what was happening in Dachau and Buchenwald was already known to the governments of the major powers. In America, in 1933, Roosevelt had also been confronted by a critical situation. The worst economic crisis in history left banking in chaos. There were some 12 million unemployed. The nation was suffering from an acute loss of self-confidence. In 1935, America's isolationism was strengthened with the passing of the Neutrality Act. The United States was not yet willing to take sides. The Jews in Germany, there were some 500,000 of them when Hitler took power, were of two minds. Some viewed Hitler as a temporary aberration and waited, alas, in vain, for things to change. Other Jews sought to escape. They illegally crossed the borders of Switzerland, Holland, Belgium, and France. They sometimes intentionally broke laws in order to be put into prison, a safer course than being returned to Germany. A small percentage made it to America or England, but for most of those trapped in the German concentration camps, or those about to be put to death, escape could come only if they could convince the Nazis that they could book passage on a ship that would take them away from the fatherland. There were few ships available and precious few countries willing to accept them as passengers. By 1939, Britain, faced with an Arab revolt in the Middle East, was about to drastically curtail the number of immigrants it would allow into Palestine. At home, there were 25,000 refugees. Britain may have been more charitable than many other nations, but His Majesty's government was preparing for all-out war, and there was no great enthusiasm for accepting more refugees from the country Britain was about to fight. France, overflowing with some 250,000 refugees, many from Spain's civil war, stated that it had reached the saturation point. A trickle of German refugees was allowed into certain South American, African, and Commonwealth countries, but not nearly as many as needed a haven. Shanghai was the end of the road. Fifteen thousand found refuge there in two years. But even Shanghai's open door was soon to be shut 
when the Japanese occupied the port. President Roosevelt appealed to the world for a suitable area to which refugees could be admitted in almost unlimited numbers. Hitler suggested Madagascar. Roosevelt wrote to Rome about Ethiopia. Mussolini replied in favor of the open areas of Russia. The Soviet Union considered Alaska appropriate. America suggested Angola. Portugal thought other places in Africa had more to commend them. The United States then favored the Central African highlands for the German Jews, most of whom were middle-class professionals, shopkeepers, and businessmen now softened by centuries of European civilization. The Orinoco River Valley in Venezuela, Mexico, the plateaus of southwestern Africa, Tanganyika,